Father in heaven, as you come in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you that your name is above every name, power, healing, deliverance, restoration, miracles, salvation, your wonderful name. And Lord, as I empty myself of, my, of myself tonight, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that my words will be your words and my thoughts will be your thoughts. And tonight, Lord, every need would be met, that the word of God would not return void. We bind Satan from stealing this precious word, Lord, accomplish that which you desire tonight bring forth a great harvest in the name of Jesus Christ, head of the church. Amen. Amen. I know Ted Shuttlesworth is where I got that from. In the name of Jesus Christ, head of the church. I was listening to one of his tapes, one of his program, or uh, one of his messages here, not too long ago, and he said, you know, Ted's fun anyways, he said, one night, four o'clock in the morning, he got this phone call, and it was his brother called him up, and he said, Brother Ted, he said, God has given me a great revelation. He said, okay, I'm awake. Lay it on me. He said, God has shown me that only skinny people can make it into heaven because the Bible says straight is the gate, narrow is the way. that leadeth unto life. He said, okay, what's the weight limit? He said 150 pounds. Well, Ted weighed just a little bit more than that at that time. He said, thanks for telling me. I think I'm going to go back to sleep. But uh, I, I want to say that we've been, uh, I, I've been joining the door-to-door -door team on Thursday and, uh, Tuesday nights, and then there's another team going out Thursday nights, and it is such a blessing. It's such a blessing. It's amazing. We've been mostly in the south end of Lima, and everybody's gone and said how friendly the people are. And it's just amazing. Sometimes uh, we've knocked on the doors, and they'll say, come in, it's open. We walk in, they say, who are you? And the people have been so friendly. Last night we were there, and uh, we were sharing uh, with this one young lady, probably in her 20s, and we give them a flyer, invite them to church, invite them to the event, see if uh, they need a Bible, see if there's anything we can pray with them about. And then we come down to the last thing, and I say, I want to ask you one question. If you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? She said, no. I said, do you want to know? Can we show you from the Bible? And she said, no, I want it to be a surprise. So that's, that's the first time anyone's ever said that to me. But I want to share with you tonight, it's amazing how God puts things together. I finally got the message put together, all the little pieces put together about 4 o'clock. And I looked on my computer, and I checked out the daily buzz. And I saw that the first verse of scripture I'm going to share with you was the one that was on today. It was Pastor's uh, daily buzz. And it's from Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard the cry by reason of the taskmasters. Task For I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land unto a good land, large upon a land flowing with milk and honey, unto a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Termites. Anything with ites was bad news. So that was the promise, and in his message he was talking about there's battles ahead, get ready. So as a church, we know that there's battles ahead, and uh, God is trying to get us ready. He's trying to get us prepared. Of course, the uh, scripture says in the last days, there's two things it says about it. In the last days that we're entering in, you can see how things are just unfolding, just like the Bible says. In the book of Timothy, it says, in the last days, I will, 
In the last days, many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Of course, we're seeing that. You know, the morality of the nations are just unfolding like a broken clock. But also, it says in the last days, the scripture says in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my servants, on my handmaids, I will pour out of those in those days of my spirit, they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord shall come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as scripture says, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. So these are exciting times that we're living in, and God is equipping the church to go forth and reach the lost at any cost. And that's our mission. That's our mission. I think, you know, we have such little time left and we need to be about the Father's business as much as we can. Well, I'm going to share with you tonight about two battles. The first one was the battle lost, and I read that about uh, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. God gave him the promise. God gave him the promise of uh, what it would be like in the, in the land of Canaan. And uh, we see then that every time they ran into an obstacle, every time the children of Israel ran into an obstacle, from the time they left Egypt until they got to Canaan land, whether they needed, well, first of all, of course, it was the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them. Then there was, they wanted food, then they wanted water, then they wanted flesh. Then the time that uh, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and the law. But every time they ran into an obstacle, all they did is gripe and complain. Gripe and complain. And, and so finally, they get to the edge of Canaan. And Moses, in, in Numbers chapter 13, he sends in the 12 spies into the land. One for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Sends them into Canaan land to, to do a recon. Now, when I was in the army, that was short for a reconnaissance mission, to check it out. And in uh, Numbers chapter 13, verse 25, they returned from searching out the land. After 40 days, they went and came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh and brought back the word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came to the land, whether thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. The fruit was just like God said. Big, gorgeous fruit, big, productive land. Nevertheless, I found there's always somebody that's got to say, yes, but. When I was first saved, I'll tell you, I, I was really searching for God before I was saved. And the Lord led me. A friend took me. Um, one o'clock in the morning. Before I went farther, by the time I... I picked her up at 11 o'clock at night, and it took me two hours to finally build up my nerve to tell her why I really picked her up. And I said, will you pray with me? And she said, no, I think you're nuts, but I know somebody will. So we ended up at this Baptist preacher's house in Neptune, Ohio, which is, I don't know, 50 people lived there. He was pastor of Neptune Baptist Church. Ended up at his house, 1 o'clock in the morning, knocked on the door. He came in, his robe and slippers on. He said, what can I do with you or for you? And I said, 
I've got to get right with God, and I have no idea how to do it. He said, I do, come in. So he invited us in, he went and got dressed, came out, showed me the Word of God, showed me the Bible. He said, do you believe this is the Word of God? And I said, yes, I do. My mother always told me it was. I never read it, but I believe it was. And he showed me the way to salvation. And I got down on my knees and asked Jesus to forgive me and save me. And for the first time in my life, I felt clean on the inside. And that was the beginning. Then, I was only there two weeks, and they asked me to teach Sunday school for the high school class. And I thought, this is going to be fun. This is going to be a challenge, because I've never read the Bible. I was raised Lutheran. Some people read it. I didn't. So I thought, well, you better go buy a Bible. So I bought a Bible. Then I looked at the Bible, and I said, now what do I do? And so I said, God, you're going to have to show me what to do. I flipped it open, came to the book of James, and I read in James, it says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who give it liberally and abraded not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let him not think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So I laid my hands on the Bible, and I said, God, I ask you to give me wisdom, and I thank you for it, that you are faithful. And he did. I started teaching Bible when I'd never read it before. But, but there's always somebody that says, yes, but. And I got excited because I was reading the book of James. It went on and it said in, in chapter 5, is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray for them, anointing them with oil. In the name of the Lord, under prayer of faith, shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise them up. And if death committed sins, they shall be forgiven them. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. And I was so excited about it. I ran into church on Wednesday night, got a hold of one of the deacons, and I said, bud, not this bud. This is a different bud. I said, bud, look at that. Then I read it to him. I thought he would be excited too. He just looked down at the carpet, shook his head. I'm sorry, John, he said, but God doesn't work that way anymore. Well, I, I thanked him for that. But I knew, I knew that I found out from it, just from observation, I could tell it's just that most people don't believe that way anymore. From the time they said, do you believe this is the word of God? And I said, yes, I do. I do. I, I have never, I fa never found it to be untrue. Never. And so here we are, same, same people. Must have been some relatives of buds. Here's the fruit of the land. Look at this. And they said, yes, but. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled, very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, Canaanites. Verse 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, and said, let us go up at once and possess it. We are well able to overcome it. And that remind me of a man named Thomas Paine, who was a great patriot of the Revolutionary War. And have you ever heard of Thomas Paine? And he came up with his slogan. I like to have a bumper sticker and put it on the back of my car. It says either lead follow or get out of the way. Yes. I've experienced that already. One time we were coming back. It's a good thing I only have a few verses of scripture. Last time I only had three. I had to give you my Lutheran version. But we were coming back from Florida one time. Stayed all night in Chattanooga. Got up the next morning. Got back on the road. And just a couple miles north of Chattanooga goes from three lanes to two. And I got behind Five cars, they must have all had a, oh, I won't say that. But anyways, they, they, it was three, three Buick LeSabres and two Mercury Grand Marquis. And I've said, I think the Buick LeSabres come from the factory with a governor on it. They can only go as fast as five miles an hour below the speed limit. 
because the speed limit is 70 from, from Chattanooga to Knoxville, and they drove 65, took up the whole road, the whole time, we'd come to a car that was going slower, they'd move over, and then they'd move back. And I was praying for them. I was in my mind envisioning I had an RPG, one of those rocket-propelled grenades. I'm just daydreaming. Had a Monte Carlo with a sunroof, and I'm just envisioning that we roll the sunroof back and Nita could get up and clear the road for me. Of course, I wouldn't say that, you know. I was thinking it anyways. But we got near Knoxville, and it spreads out to three lanes again. So I thought, good, we'll get around them. No, those five cars spread out. They're taking up all three lanes now. Finally, we came to, a, there was a garbage truck in the left lane. And so before they could move over, I floored it. Had a Monte Carlo SS. I floored it. And as we're coming to go around them, I said, Nita, don't you think you ought to give them the appropriate sign? And so when we went around, she went. <laughs> and I said, I guess that was the appropriate sign. It wasn't the one I was thinking of. <laughs> Anyways, back to the verse of scripture. Oh, Caleb stilled the people and said, let us go in at once. Either lead, follow, or get out of the way. But the men went up with him and said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They brought an evil report of the land which they had searched into the children of Israel, saying, the land which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people we saw are men of great stature. I mean, they had to either lie or just exaggerate. Ridiculous. It's just like, you know, we were going along, we'd see, you know, the ground would open up and suck people down. That never happened. And we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our, as in our own sight as grasshoppers as we were in their sights. Now, it had to be a huge exaggeration. Can you imagine the Amalekites, the Jebusites, Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites sitting around the campfire and they look down and they say, what is that? Look, that's one of those little <laughs> Israelis. You know, they're just the size of grasshoppers. I found the more you talk about the devil, the bigger he gets. It depends who's bigger, your God or the devil. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried and wept all night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said, Would to God we had died in the land of Egypt. Here we go. This is the sixth time they said the same thing. It's like they only had one record. Every time they ran into an obstacle, they bring out the same record. Play it again, Sam. We should have stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed in Egypt. And they went on, Wherefore hath the Lord brought us three into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey were it not better for us to return to Egypt. I'm going to skip down here in uh, 6 and Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were with them to search the land, rent their clothes. You know when they're mad and they tear off their clothes. Church is out. They are just, you can see that Joshua and Caleb are just mad enough to spit nails and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel and said, The land which we pass through to search it is exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, and he will bring us into the land and give us a land which floweth milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred to us, and their defense is departed from them. The Lord is with us, fear them not. But, here we go. 
Go ahead again. All the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle, and the congregation before the children of Israel. Now the Lord's man. And he said, How long will these people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe, believe me for all the signs that I've showed to them? And, and of course he said, I'm going to smite them. I'm going to disinherit them. I've had enough of it. I know the Lord's long-suffering, but as Clint Eastwood said, everything's got its, a man's got to know his limitations. You've got to know when to stop complaining and accusing God. Um, so Moses, Moses said, Lord, if, if, if you do that, then all the, all the uh, Perizzites and Hittites and Jebusites, they're, they're going to say that you did that because you were not able to bring them in. And he pleads with him. He said, Lord, in verse 18, the Lord is long-suffering. You're of great mercy, forgiving iniquity, transgressions, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers and the children upon the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of these people according to the greatness of your mercy, and thou hast forgiven the people. He said, I have pardoned, but as long as I live, saith the Lord, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And then he tells them, and uh, he speaks unto them and says, I'm going to jump down here to verse 28. And here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. He said, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. That's why we need to watch what we say. As long as I live, said the Lord, as you have spoken, I'm going to do it. And then he, he told them, he said, those from 20 years old, and over are going to go into the wilderness and they're going to stay here until they're all died out. But Joshua and Caleb and the ones who are younger than 20, 19 and younger, and the ones who will be born in the land in the next 40 years can go into the land. In Psalm 78, I want to jump to Psalm 78 because it is, Psalm 78 is, is a really a, uh, a summary, a summary of their journey from Egypt to the promised land, and beginning of verse 37, I'm going to get towards the, uh, towards the middle of this, Psalm 78 of the summary, and he says, For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant, but he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not, yea, many a time turned his anger away and did not stir up his wrath, for he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? And here's the three things they did. Yea, they turned back, they tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. And I thought, thought of that. He said, in, in summary, here's the, thing, here's the thing that kept them from going in. They turned back, they tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. I have uh, a friend, Jean Lilly, that I met at a... Uh, the meeting down in uh, Leesburg, Florida, 1981. And Gene has got a book out. Francis and Charles Hunter wrote it for him. It's called Don't Limit God. And it was just, just to say that they limited the Holy One of Israel is something that has been a guide for me to not limit God. To allow God to be God in your life. And Gene gave a testimony down there, and then he came up here later, and he was on my radio program, and we took him around 
he was on uh, church in Salina, one in uh, different other places. We'll get him on WTGN. But Gene was born in uh, Hagerstown, Indiana, which is near Richmond. And when he was 14, he, had, uh, he got very sick, found out he had multiple sclerosis. As he got older, older he also developed sugar diabetes, high triglycerides. He had scar tissue in the brain because they took him, now this is a long time ago, they took him to Cleveland Clinic, did an experiment for the MS. They drilled a hole in his brain, had drilled a hole in his head and put compressed air in there and it tore his brain loose. And he was unconscious for two weeks and when he awakened out of it, from then on he had scar tissue in the inside of his brain because your brain is attached to the inside of your skull, you know, this doesn't flop around like marbles in there. And so from then on, he had constantly terrific headaches. And when he got into his early 30s, they were living out west, and Gene got a Bible, and he got saved, and he started reading in Proverbs where it said, My son, attend to my words, incline thy ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, but keep them in the midst of thy heart, for they are life to those that find them, and health to all their flesh. And he started believing that God was going to heal him. And he got a hold of once of Francis and Charles Hunter's book, When Jesus Passed By. And he thought, if I could just get in one of those meetings, and some friends invited him to come to Orlando. And at the time, they didn't have money for gas. So his wife, Phyllis, went down to Kmart, set up a table in the parking lot, sold everything they had, and they made it to Orlando. And he told his friends, he said, boy, if I could just, he, he said, faith just came alive in him. He said, if I could just get into one of Francis and Charles Hunter's meetings, he said, I believe I'd be healed. And he said, well, she's coming in two weeks, going to be at the Assemblies of God Church. So the night came, and he had to walk on a walker. He could only be on his feet an hour a day. And everything was just out of control. The, the sugar diabetes was just over the top, and the high triglycerides, and the MS, and the pain in his head. But by faith, he left his walker at home, had some friends help him into the service. And during many of their services, they would call out different diseases, and God would heal those diseases. But the meeting was almost over, and none of those were called out. And they said, if you haven't been prayed for, come up here. So Gene wouldn't let him help him. He went from pew to pew, got up here, drug himself up, had somebody lift him up. And Francis Hunter said, well, what's wrong with you? And he said, I've got MS. He said, I've got sugar diabetes, high triglycerides, scar tissue in the brain. And he said, I'm dying. She threw up her hands and said, well, praise Jesus. Put her hands on him and said, in the name Jesus. He said he fell out on the floor and he said he was he laid, he could just feel the, the waves of heat and light going through his body. And he said for the first time in years he could feel his feet pinching his, his shoes pinching his feet. Because he said with MS, when it gets really bad, he said you lose all your feeling. And he said, and he stood up, first time in years he stood up and he was about 90% healed. And he said he went home and the next day he woke up and he was one. 100% healed. Thank God. And he's still, he's still around. He's down in Florida right now. He's a bishop in the Pentecostal church in the, in the Philippines. And uh, he's back visiting now. And I just talked to him. He's still fine. And, and that's, been, that's been back in the 70s he got healed. But God is faithful. And that book that they wrote about him is called Don't Limit God. And it's just encouraged me to not limit God, to know that God is God. 
In Acts, the, the thing that they, that they missed, the thing that the children of Israel really missed, I think, is we see that the thing that they, that they really needed is uh, we see in Acts chapter 3, beginning of verse 1, now Peter and John went up together into the temple the ninth hour to pray, being the, 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 at the hour to pray, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And of course, we can see later that he was over 40 years old, been crippled since he was born, who was seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. And Peter, fastening his eyes, looked on him. And John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. And I said that, you know, of course, we know that they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk, took him by hands, lifted him up. He walked, went into the temple, walking, leaping, praising God. But when I saw that, sometimes just one verses, one, ver, one word in that verse of scripture, and that word was expecting. This man had expectant faith. He really expected something. And I remember before I was, and that's what the children of Israel needed. I can't, how could you see, I don't know. How could you see God move miracles again and again and again and again? And yet every time you come up to an obstacle, all you do is murmur and complain. But this man had expectant faith, and it's something we need to add to our faith, is expectancy. Before I was saved, I remember I was 22 years old, and I'd come out of church thinking, is that all there is? I mean, I was glad, you know, that we'd pray, our Father who art in heaven, you know, and I thought, he's way out there someplace, and I'm down here. And, and I said, there's something missing in my life. And one night after I had enough beer, built up my courage and went to my pastor and I said pastor I need to talk to you so I went for a ride and I said pastor there's something missing in my life he said I don't know what it could be he said you're young you're healthy got a wife a baby a good job a nice car nice house you've been baptized you've been confirmed you go to church he said that's all there is well I thanked him but I knew there was something missing and I didn't know what it was I couldn't find anybody to tell me. And sometimes I, I had friends that were Catholic and I knew the church was always open, so I'd go into the Catholic church late at night. And uh, I, was, I was respectful, I really was. I was really seeking the face of God. I thought, you know, maybe I can find God up there. And when you go in, you know, you, the holy water, you get down in front, you genuflect. That's acknowledging the presence of God. I was acknowledging his presence, and I'd go where the candles were, and put my money in the box and light a candle. I didn't know what it was for, but I thought, whatever works. It's, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I mean that respectfully, too. Because, uh, and then I'd look around the church, make sure nobody else was there. And I'd cry out, I'd say, God, where are you? I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to touch you. And I really thought one night, I would hear the back doors open. It had three sets of doors. They were about eight foot tall, double oak doors, and the hinges would creak. I thought one night when I pray and say, God, where are you? I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to touch you. I thought one night I'd hear those doors open up. I'd turn around and see God himself walk in there. Some people say that's dumb. That's silly. No, that's called expectant faith. When we pray, we ought to expect God to show up. We ought to be surprised if he doesn't. That's called expectant faith. And, uh, and that was something that the, the children of Israel really needed. 
I have found that Satan's greatest weapon, well, first of all, we talk a lot about Satan, but uh, our worst enemy is the person that wears our shoes. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. But the greatest weapon that the devil has against us, it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. That's the greatest weapon is deception. The greatest weapon he has is deception of deceiving people. And the children of Israel were spiritually nearsighted and they begin to think with their emotions and not with the word. They begin to think with their emotions. Some pe- so many people do that today. They live by their emotions. And I can remember uh, a pastor one time said he used to have a violent temper. And he said, I have learned you either control your emotions or your emotions will control you. How true that is. But another battle I saw was with a friend of mine. I, I had a friend that, uh, well, I've had several that were, were really close to the Lord. And then after a few years, they drifted away. They fell off the wagon. And sometimes it's shocking. It's shocking to see how they change. One in particular, I hadn't seen him for a couple years. And, and uh, I heard what had become of him. And when I saw him, I was just shocked because even his personality changed. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. How true that is. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog has turned to his own vomit again and the sow that is washed to her wallowing in the mire. And when I talked to that, went to talk to that brother, he was a very intelligent person. And he thought he had everything figured out. And he knew I was coming. I called, said, I need to talk. I need to talk to you. And he said, I've been expecting you. And when I walked in, he said, John, I'm going to tell you one thing. He said, before you say a word, whatever I've done, whatever I'm doing, God has to forgive me. I said, you're absolutely right. I said, it says in the word, 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins but to cleanse us from all all unrighteousness. I said, but there's one thing you're forgetting here. That is true. The thing that you're forgetting is you think God's a fool. But it says in his word, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. And I'm going to say something here. You better hang on to your seat. Because I want to say this and make a statement. Forgiveness has absolutely nothing to do with the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you're going to grow. You can read about the prodigal son. The prodigal son demanded his inheritance. The father divided it up between the older son and younger son. And so uh, he went out and bought himself a new ride, went to Las Vegas. And there he wasted his substance, it said, his riotous living. Wine, women, and song. Now, it doesn't exactly say that, but every story can use a little mustard. 
And so when he came to himself, thank God, he ended up slopping the hogs. They had a recession there. And he ended up slopping the hogs. The only job he could get was feeding the hogs. It says when he came to himself, that's Luke chapter 15, he looked back and he said, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to eat? And here I'm perishing with hunger. Nothing but hog slop to eat. He said, I'll rise, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against you, sinned against heaven. And before he could even finish anything, his father welcomed him home. He said, go for, get, the, get, get, get my best robe. Put some sandals on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. And they begin to make merry. But you know the thing that you may have missed in that story is his inheritance was gone. His inheritance was gone. His father forgave him, but he had to reap what he sowed. He would never again get that inheritance back. But we thank God that his soul was saved. And so I told a friend of mine, forgiveness has nothing to do with the law of sowing and reaping. I said, the, the problem that you don't understand here, you are being deceived by the devil. I said, and you don't understand that when you walk away from God, just like the prodigal son did, you are walking away from his protection and his provision. And I said, you are open season to the devil, and you don't even know it. You're open season to the devil, and you don't even know it. And I can remember, uh, I talked to a fellow many years ago. He was a marshal in a little town up north of Lima someplace. And he said they had an incident. He told me they had an incident in their town that one night, in the middle of the night, this, this guy was high on drugs, PCPs or something, where you have no feeling, I mean, you feel no pain, no nothing. He kicked the door and went into this man's house, and the man woke up, he had a 410 shotgun sitting there beside his bed, grabs the, the gun, goes in the hallway, the guy's coming down the hallway with a knife, chambers around in his shotgun, tells him to stop, tells him to stop, tells him to stop, until when he gets about eight feet away, he fires, hits him directly in the chest, and he said that, now normally, a person would be not high on drugs, you just fall over dead. But because of the adrenaline, because of the drugs, not feeling any pain at all, he said he turned around, ran back down the hallway, out in the front yard, and fell over dead. And the thing that always stuck in my mind, that I'll never forget, he said, the second he was hit with that shotgun, he was dead, but he didn't know it. People, there are some people who are spiritually dead but they don't know it. People who have walked away from God, people have never known, have never received Christ. They're spiritually dead, but they don't know it. And I said, I, I shared that with him. I said, it's open season for the devil, for you. And I said, there's one thing I have learned about the devil is the devil plays for keeps. I turned around and walked out. And that's the thing, you know, the battle, we, we see we've got a spiritual battle and those are battles lost. But then I want to talk to you about a battle won. There it is. This is my favorite poster. Talk about faith. That's in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. And a certain woman 
which had an issue of blood twelve years, and having suffered many things for many physicians, and spent all that she had, and was nothing better, but only grew worse. When she heard that Jesus had came in the press behind and touched his garment, and she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And I, when I read that, I said, Who told her that? How did she know that? How did she know that? If I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment. You know what that was? That's called expectant faith. Expectant faith. She added to her faith expectancy. We know that Hebrews 1, Hebrews 11 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know that faith, the spiritual world is just as real as this world is that we're seeing here. The only thing is you don't see it. It's just like the wind. You can't see the wind, but when you get out there, you can feel it. And the Holy Ghost is that way, too. This woman had expectant faith. She said, if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she'd been healed of the plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue, which means miraculous power, had gone out of him. He could feel the power go out of him. I, I know that Nita, Nita's bathroom and mine are back to back. And uh, if I'm in there on Sunday morning and she kicks on that 1,500-watt hair dryer, my light's dim. Just a little bit. I don't mean they, they don't go well down, real down. But that's 1,500 watts is like 15, 100-watt light bulbs. And I can tell when she kicks on that hair dryer. And that's what it was, that virtue, miraculous power, she made a draw on him. He could feel the power. He could feel the power go out of him. And he said, he turned to the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging me, and, and sayest thou who touched me? And he, looked, they, and he looked around about to see the woman that had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done to her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be healed of thy plague. Expectant faith don't limit God. I had one thing I want to share with you and for those that are lost, As I, I share with people that you never know what tonight or tomorrow is going to bring. You know, when I've talked to people in the South Bend, especially the apartments I used to live in and manage, when I was 28 years old, you've heard the story. I was managing apartments. It was April 1975, and I lived in a manager's apartment that had a small office there. And I was sitting at my kitchen table doing some work, Five o'clock came and went. I just left the door open. And I heard the door open, walked in, and two guys walked in with pantyhose over their head. You know that's not a good sign. You know that was, well, I won't say that. Dawn, we now are gay apparel. But anyways, they had it over their head. <laughs> not a good sign. They closed the door. One pulled out a sawed-off shotgun, and then pulled out a revolver took the money I had, took me in the bathroom, got me on my hands and knees, tied my hands behind my back into the plumbing underneath the lavatory. 
put the shotgun on the back of my head. Now you can't think, you can't, five minutes before that, you know, you think you're gonna live a long time. Can't, um, you can't believe this is happening. And I began to thank God for all that he'd done for me, for saving me, and he put the shotgun in the back of my head and I said, open the gates, Lord, here we come. And then I heard the hammer click as he pulled it back to fire. And right after the hammer clicked, the door opened in the office. They forgot to lock it. A lady walked in. Hello, anybody there? She walked in to pay her rent. Unclicked that shotgun. Sawed up shotgun, put it in his raincoat, and they walked out. I later saw how my life was down to one second. And I tell people that. I said, you never know what tomorrow's going to bring. You need to have God with you wherever you go. I read an article... May 26, 1979, and there was something in this article that has stuck with me for 38 years. I, I've said, it isn't the right, proper term, I've almost said it, that what, what was said haunted me for 38 years, but that's not a great theological term, but it perfectly describes what it said. And this was about an airline crash in Chicago, May 25th, 1979. And I know God's protecting our church family. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to bring fear, because listen, I ended up, I moved out of that apartment, but I ended up went back. I went back, I got remarried, and I went back. It was the only place I could live where I didn't have to pay rent, because I was paying, I was paying child support on three kids, plus extra because of my dad. My dad was always successful, and when we went in to have my child support established, my attorney said, well, here's the schedule. Here's the schedule. Here's how much you have to pay. So he went in for the conference with the judge, came back out, and he just shaking his head, I can't believe it. He said, here's how much the judge said you're going to pay. I said, why? He said, I showed him your tax return. And that's all I, that's the, um, God's truth. That's all I, all I made. And he said, the judge pushed that over the side. This is called a little town jealousy because my dad was very successful. He started working when he was nine years old. But the judge pushed that over the side. He said, listen, I don't care what that tax return says. We're talking about Paul Kessler's son, and he'll pay what I say he'll pay. So when I got remarried, 1223 South Sugar Street, Lima, was the only place that I could rent and not have to pay, that I could live and not have to pay rent. And I remember, I know what it is to have fear. Because after, it'll change your life. Once you've been tied up by yourself, shotgun in the back of your head, and the hammer's pulled back, it'll change your life. And I had fear. We had fear. I didn't have an air conditioner. I didn't have a TV. I was not going to ask my dad for money for it. And so at nighttime, we closed the windows, just had the fan on. It was so hot in there. This is August. Middle of Lima, 1223 South Sugar Street, corner of Catalpa and South Sugar, and it was hot in there. Fans on, you're sweating. I got up, I couldn't sleep. I'm standing out there looking on South Sugar Street. And I'm an analyst and a realist. That's my personality. And I talk to myself a lot. And I said, think about this, John. Think about this. It says in the 23rd Psalm, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I said, if that was true when you lived in Salina, is that still true when you're living in the South End of Lima? Is, that, is it still true here as it was there? And I said, now think about this. 
The devil has done his best to kill you. He's had you by yourself, tied up, shotgun in the back of your head, hammer pulled back, and he still can't kill you. Now what are you afraid of? You know, the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And that's, that's why I say, God will protect you wherever you are. I won't go through all the times I should have died. But I want to tell you, this, there's, there's one thing in here that is stuck in my mind that the sinners need to know, that they need to hear. This was, the, uh, the headlines were 271 die in a worst airline crash. Chicago, a DC-10 wide-body jet filled to capacity for holiday weekend flight to Los Angeles had an engine on takeoff fall off in a flaming holocaust just north of the world's busiest airport. None of the 271 people aboard had a chance to survive. Scores of investigators from the Federal Aviation Administration, NTSB, FBI, various state and local agencies picked through the tiny bits and pieces of the rubble and body parts at a field one and a half miles north of O'Hare International Airport. And here's how it happened. He said, the hellish disaster developed under a sparkling blue sky after a round of bon voyages from the passengers boarding American Airlines Flight 199-191 at mid-afternoon. The ground crew said most of the passengers in the terminal were in a happy mood. Many of them, including the managing editor of Playboy magazine, were members of the publishing profession bound for the booksellers convention in Los Angeles. You can imagine how happy they were. I mean, you know, to go to a convention, have a good time out there. The tower controller who handled the flight reported that everything went normal prior to takeoff at 2.45 p.m. Central Daylight Time. The silver, blue, and red three-engine jet was cleared, lumbered down the runway, lifted slightly off the ground, and then radioed that something was going wrong. The tower responded, do you want to come back? There was no answer. That, what he said to them, has stuck in my mind for 38 years. Do you want to come back? 271 people were on board there. And I wonder how many would want to come back. And for the lost, when we have a burden for the lost, we need to let them know that eternity is forever. But now's your chance. Now's your chance to make things right with God. You need to do it now, for tomorrow may be too late. And in conclusion, we've got the altar team people here tonight. And uh, if any of you have not received Christ or you're in a backslidden state, we'd like to pray with you. If uh, you have need for prayer for anything in your life, we'd be glad to do that tonight. And I'm done. I've, Lord, I've done my best, and I let you do the rest. And I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity of sharing tonight. And I thank the Holy Ghost for giving me the word. Amen. I just want to say, I'm so glad he didn't give me a word like he did Charles Stanley. I know Charles Stanley, we heard him say before when he came to Atlanta for his trial speech, he wanted to be pastor of the First Baptist Church, that uh, he was going to preach Sunday morning all the way to Atlanta, no word. Friday night, no word. Maybe you heard him say this. Saturday, no word. 
Sunday morning he got up and said, God, this is getting serious. He had no words, no words. Got up there. They were playing the last song. He said, Lord, this is getting serious. He had nothing to say, nothing to say. And when he got up there, he just flipped open his Bible and went to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And that's the end of it. That's the, that's the total sum of the gospel if you'll trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. Don't be motivated by your thoughts and your emotions. And trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. He'll take you through the rough times. He'll take you through the good times. We can meet together on the other side. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord. Yeah. Let me, let me just, I used to be Lutheran. I need to do this. Just a minute. God told Moses, when you bless the children, he said, say these words. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor Phyllis, you have something? Okay. We're done if you need prayer. We're going to be up front here, and uh, we'll be glad to take care of, uh, take the time to minister to you tonight. Amen.